Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. Hello, and welcome to the Blackthorne Grove, where friends and community meet together over tea to talk about the nature of our connection to each other, to our practice, and anything else that comes up in the conversation. My name is Amy Blackthorne, and welcome to Season 3. I wanted to talk about operating a pagan business. I was a lucky enough to be part of a panel, but as it wasn't available to the public, uh, I wanted to talk about some of these issues, questions, concerns, uh, in a little bit more intimate setting. So, welcome to the new year. (laughs) I wanted to talk about not just what pagan businesses are, but some of the unique challenges that are present in our times, in our lives, and I'm hoping maybe this can help someone who's Maybe on the fence about starting a business or feeling overwhelmed, or maybe they're not sure if they should continue. And I'm here to say the community needs your voice. So the first thing is, what is a pagan business? It's not just the local witchy shop, if you're lucky enough to have one. Those incredible places are ones of connection, of thought, and of discovery, And the number of friendships that I've built with people over the years, just through my local shops, those relationships, you can't put a price tag on. I have people in my life that will be there until I leave this earth, I'm quite sure. It's so important to make sure that that cost is counted and the benefits that we assign to these shops. The cost of incense or candles or what have you is nothing compared to the cost of the time and energy, effort, and love that our local shops put into their atmospheres, into searching out new vendors, making sure those vendors align with our ethics. And those things are something that we can't put a price tag on. So it could be your local witch shop down the street, or it could be your roofer who happens to be pagan, who puts you know profits towards pagan-aligned values. Now, as we know, values are very, very singular. Everyone has their own thoughts and own feelings and own opinions. So those ideas that of what makes a pagan business can be varying from person to person. The, the analogy that I like is seeing someone, say, with a plumbing business. A little single owner shop has the logo, the title, the name of the business, their phone number, their contact information, that kind of thing. And the very bottom, a little fish or a little cross or a little something that says this is a Christian-owned business. I wish we were at the point in society's evolution, that pagan businesses could afford to do this. That it wouldn't be scary, and it wouldn't be potentially hazardous to identify yourself as a public pagan in a certain business. But sadly, it is. I wish that we had the ability to be seen as some of the more mainstream religions are seen breed catered to. (laughs) And it's nice to think about 
but the reality of some of the challenges that are faced being a pagan business are many. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit more depth. The first question that comes to mind is why should your community support you? Why, why community, why only pagan businesses? Why specifically pagan businesses? And the, the first answer, the first idea is that if we don't support them, we won't have them. It's, it's been a very long time. I'm, I've been able to visit local shops for about 22 years. And every so often you get that person who comes in who argues or gripes about the 50 cents they could have saved if they purchased their incense or their candles online from some mass market warehouse website. And they could have saved 50 cents. And while that's valid, money is money is tight for everyone. Money is tight for everyone. And everyone's budget looks different, especially after the, the havoc of the pandemic affecting everyone's bottom line. That being said, spending that money on a local business and a local shop means that when you come back a week later and you need more candles or more incense, you can walk into an actual building with people who know what they're talking about, get some advice, get some connection, and make lifelong friendships that will, will transcend the physical location of any shop. What I'm saying is making sure that we have that place to connect is worth more than being able to support a faceless corporation that really doesn't contribute anything to the community. So what should we charge for our time, our services, our expertise? How do we figure out what to charge? What's fair? One of the things that many have noticed is that when you look at the availability of small businesses, the material of someone's local shops, a lot of what people have and a lot of, there are a lot of practitioners who offer divination services. So if you want to have, have the ability to create and offer divination services, try and price it at something close to the, the local prices for massage, for Reiki, for anything that's in person, on hands-on, and is available. The biggest problem is, as pagan practitioners of divination, uh, I always had a hard time. I didn't want to be lumped in with the neon palm in the window. I wanted to offer materials. I wanted to offer time and expertise that felt more of a human connection. And unfortunately, the, those take time to develop. So you have to cultivate clientele. You have to work with people. And there's going to be times when you get questions for people asking what it is that you're offering and asking you to justify having someone pay for your services. And the long and short of it is everyone has bills. Literally everyone has bills. <laughs> if you're not comfortable charging for your magic, and I, I don't, that is my choice. I'm, I would never cast aspersions on someone who does or feels it right or necessary. 
So I don't charge for magic. I will charge for my time and attention, my professional expertise. And I think that's an important distinction for me within my own practice. Looking at those options can be kind of scary. There's, there's a lot that goes into it, especially as a, a singular practitioner working on their bring, bringing to light their own name, creating their own brand. Those things are taking time and attention and uh, financial resources. So the old adage of, oh, I, why, you, you, can't, you can't charge me for your time. You really can. And it's interesting reason. And I had this discussion with my first high priestess when I started reading tarot professionally in my goodness, I think it was eight, I was 18 by that point. The biggest part of me had always read books that said, Oh, you can't charge money for your pro You can't charge for this. You can't charge for that. And my high priestess looked at me right in my shiny, sweet 18 year old face and said, my darling, no one, not anyone in our culture, People don't value what they don't have to pay for. They value your input. They value your expertise as exactly as much as they paid for it. So giving away your readings, giving away your advice, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your clients by not charging, by not giving them the, the, the best bang for their buck, the most of yourself you can give for that price point. And it was a really interesting idea had never even occurred to me in, in such a way before. And I was actually, I still am thankful to her for that clarification because I was really worried that I, doing this would be harmful to my karma. I know it's not a thing. Um, but 18 year old me didn't know that yet. <laughs> it's really the best understanding. So how does a pagan business run differently than a non-pagan business? <laughs> The answer is as varied as people's own definitions for magic, honestly. It has to do with everyone's individual ideas of right and wrong and exclusion and acceptance. When we're looking at what it means to be a pagan business, it can be quite different from person to person. That same roofer who is, now has a pentacle on the bumper saying, oh, hey, we're, we're a pagan-owned business. They may operate differently than a non-pagan one. They may put professional credit or donate to specific organizations that are important to them. Every bit of this is as personal as our own magical practices itself. What makes my business a pagan business? Well, my, my products are derived from recipes about magic. There's the idea of things that are important to me. There are, as there's a specific page for charitable resources because community involvement, community care is important to me. So you'll see I have a T for um, the proceeds going to uh, the National Bail Fund and my two local bail funds, both Baltimore and Philadelphia, since Delaware's quite small. It doesn't have its own bail fund. Uh, I wanted to donate as locally as I could for at least portion of the proceeds. There's uh, a sale that goes to uh, the Anti-Defamation League in the name of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Everybody's got their own ideals. The SSDGMT uh, goes 
to sends all his proceeds to end the backlog. And originally it was, I think it was a third of the profits would go. And now I didn't feel like I was doing enough. So it's all the proceeds, not the net, but the gross proceeds. So I'm doing the tins, the tea, the label, the, the labor, all of that to make sure that we're able to get rid of uh, the backlog. You can find out more about those individual sites through links on blackthornsbotanicals.com or you can Google them directly. I mean, there are, I did, I offered teaching experiences that donate to uh, a national for the U.S. charity for uh, advancing the personhood for our trans friends. So uh, they're a, a law charity that tries to defeat bills that are not in the best interest of our trans family and friends. That was also very important to me. So every business has it in a different way. Everyone does it a different way. It's all about what's important to that person. The fact that that person is pagan is what makes their business pagan, what makes their ideals pagan. So it's going to look different to everybody. But I really loved the opportunity to understand it's not just your local witchy shop. It's not just the, the Etsy creator down the street who makes the beautiful hand-carved wands. And it's not just the plumber who comes to rescue you when the pipe bursts. Every business that labels itself pagan, every business that calls itself pagan, whether it's public or not, has their own individual ideals of what it should look like. I get asked, as a pagan business, what do I do? How do I handle prejudice? How, I, how do I handle aggressive customers? Or At that point, they're not even customers. How do I handle bigots? How do I handle someone who hates me just because my religion is different than they are? And it's kind of twofold because those people are often very excited and very proud of themselves to get in someone's face. Uh, and it may or may not have anything to do with the business. It depends on the, the person and the situation, I'm sure. It can be hard. I am not <laughs> not going to sugarcoat that. However, by giving up and packing it in and saying, "Oh, I'll just I'll leave this to someone stronger, newer, younger, whatever than I am," we're doing a disservice to our community and to ourselves. I will absolutely. I <laughs> I get ahead of myself. I will absolutely be the first one to admit, say, share that it can be dangerous to be a pagan. It can be dangerous to be a witch or a Wiccan or however you label yourself. People see us as other. And it's so hard and at times demoralizing that people we love, people that we've respected, people that we care about can see our religious preference, our religious path as something that makes us other or bad. It doesn't. It's very easy to get up in front of a bunch of friends and pound your chest at, you know, the poor helpless witch about how Jesus loves you and everything else that aligns with it. 
What's difficult about that is the fear or the worry or even the understanding that people see you not just as other, but as dangerous because you're not like them. They, they market you as other. There's a fabulous book series uh, about a, a werewolf named Kitty. is fabulous. But one of the things in the most, in the end of the series, and one of the most recent books, she says to someone, she's going to talk about the identities of werewolves to a national board. You know, it's a Senate hearing. And so she looks at one of the senators asking her a question. She said, when you tell yourselves, when you tell each other that we're not human, that we're not people, what are you giving yourself permission to do to us? So I'm the first person to always remind them that I know you think that you have it all figured out. But othering people merely for your own agenda is a terrifying slope. Both for me as a witch and for me as an American. Who are you othering these people for? And for what reason? What's your goal here? So handling prejudice, especially in a, in a public shop, there are a number of different ways that can be handled. Uh, there was an event uh, a few years ago I attended in Philadelphia, and on the same day there was a protest at Soldier Whole Earth Provisions in Greenville, North Carolina. So around four o'clock, the apothecary manager, Courtney noticed a man known as EC Street Preacher uh, in front of the store. He had a sign which says, Who will Jesus damn with a list of sinners and a video camera mounted to a hand truck with orange caution cones? This information comes to us from thewildhunt.org. If you'd like to read it or see the video that was attached of the ensuing introductions and, and correspondences, you can check it out at wildhunt.org. But more or less what happens was the the owner, Heron, actually had to go and join the discussion. She likes talking about religion with interfaith ideas. Uh, but a lot of times these <laughs> folks, I, I almost said well-meaning, but we know that's, that's a little too generous sometimes. Uh, each of those ideals that we possess, that we demonstrate, that we discuss, is very, it varies from person to person. So you can attempt to join them in conversation, but I'll warn you, it is uh, <laughs> it's usually fruitless uh, when it comes to the bullhorn set. Now, that's not to say that friends and family members who are just talked to with love and compassion and experience can't change their minds because they absolutely can. So look at it as a case-by-case -case basis. If you're a brick-and-mortar witchy shop and you have people showing up, you have a couple options depending on how they're comporting themselves and what your local laws offer. Some people choose to involve law enforcement. Uh, we know that uh, the communities that are a part of 
the pagan umbrellas, namely of our black and indigenous people of color, uh, are not treated fairly by the police. So many, many stores choose to limit their auction, <laughs> limit their interactions with law enforcement as much as possible. Um, they may need to get involved depending on the, the severity of the instance and the issues present. But giving yourself an option, giving yourself the ability to interact or not interact as much as you can, us keeping a level head and making sure that we're interacting as safely for ourselves and our customers as we can, that's that's really the, the best bet. Yeah, the other event that, that day a few years ago, I happened to be at Philadelphia Pagan Pride Day. And there's a gentleman, we use that term loosely, who brings some parishioners and some friends to uh, any any event that's really held at that park. The first time they showed up, they actually thought it was uh, gay pride. They, they showed up with signs deriding members of the LGBTQ plus for their choices. And... Uh, was very quickly said, you know, you're not welcome. Well, so they, they're very, very close to following the letter of the law, just being ridiculous and bigoted out on the sidewalk instead of in the middle of our festival arena. They left and came back with some more narrowly focused <laughs> signage. And in years subsequent to that, they, they come back every year. The amazing organizers from the Philadelphia Pagan Pride event make sure that they're not able to interact with people. They bring video cameras and such to record anywhere they protest so they can sue if they're infringed upon in any way. But we want to make sure that the vendors are safe, the visitors are safe, their you know, guests and their children are safe. So I really applaud the, the organizers of Philadelphia Pagan Pride Day for making sure that we're safe and we're taken care of. So one of the things that pagan businesses face that our non-pagan friends really don't. And the first thing that comes to mind is usually the idea or the people really ask frequently a justification for having a pagan business to selling to us, to being pagans themselves. A few years ago, a new store was opening and the wife of one of the partners really wasn't all that thrilled to be involved. Didn't really have any interest in it, but was supporting her, her spouse. And the question was, why don't we offer more pagan-specific sale items? And her flippant answer was, well, pagans don't have money anyway. If anyone had said that about a Christian business, I don't think it would have been met with the same feelings <laughs> as we had about this event. I don't know why people think that A, that that's okay to say, and B, what makes them so sure about it? 
especially coming from people outside the community who really don't know a whole lot about what goes on inside of it. When we look at our Christian specifically or even non-pagan businesses, the problem <laughs> that I see more often than not is the amount of time that we have to spend justifying what you're selling, what you want to sell, your vendors, your all of those things specifically down to the very minute details. Now it's important to have ethics and to work as you know ethically and within your religion's personal ethical standpoint. Very important to me. But I don't see our non-pagan counterparts having to do as much justification for the things that they do. Now, I'm not talking about ethically questionable issues, like should you sell white sage or not. I'm talking about the even catering to people within our community. It's not easy, and it's even harder to have a shop that embodies what the community wants to see from, we'll say, a, uh, an occult store rather than a new age shop. They both have, they can have similar overlap it's a, in the little Venn diagram of products that they offer. But you can, you really know what you're looking for, what you're going to find through these two separate pagan businesses. <laughs> so if someone were to start a pagan business or want to start a pagan business in the near future, what advice might I give them? And the very first thing, I keep saying that, <laughs> I want the idea that when we go into business for ourselves, that automatically life just becomes easier and more fulfilling and <laughs> it really can be true. That doesn't mean that just because we're not dealing with the, a different boss or worrying about human resources, finding out that we're witches, it comes with its own set of issues. If we're not dealing with, you know, corporate ideas and corporate attire, it doesn't mean that we aren't still dealing with specific and very, very specific issues within our own community, within our day-to-day. -day. So the things that I would recommend someone do, one, uh, take a business accounting course because there's a lot more paperwork involved in running a small business than you think. Two, I would take if you have the opportunity, the means, especially if you're running an in-person metaphysical shop, take a very entry, very basic uh, counseling course so you can keep professional boundaries as well as offer information to your customers as to where to look for beneficial help. Having a Rolodex or, you know, some referrals up your sleeve for pagan-friendly uh, services in your area, from pagan-friendly therapists 
to individual shops that don't carry what you carry, you, you know, someone you can refer them to if, they, if you don't have what they need. Those professional relationships are a lifesaver. One of the things that I want to make sure that doesn't happen, one of the things that I would love to see us get away from, is the people who have the idea that we're each other's competition. That is not the case. That is outdated thinking, and it's actually pretty harmful to both your, your customers and your mental health, because other shops are not in competition with us. We are a smaller niche group, yes. But the idea and the practice of witchcraft in its myriad forms is becoming more popular every day. Not every shop is going to resonate with every person. Not every shop is going to resonate with every style of witchcraft or the necessary tools that we would provide. One set of practices has completely separate, not just ritual offerings, but ritual tools, the way that it's practiced, and the communities to which they are dedicated. There's a new shop opening here in Delaware. I'm super excited about it. I want to check it out. Really looking forward to it. But I know that not every shop that opens is going to be the right fit for me. I love supporting my local businesses. You know, it's one of the reasons I did this today is to talk about how great it is, but also how important it is to offer our services for, their, for the community. Because the community deserves to hear your voice. But not every person is going to be aligned. I hate that word sometimes. They're not always going to be aligned with the same shops. So everyone's going to have a different business model. Everyone's going to have a different voice and different offerings. There, There's plenty of business to go around. I want us to get away from this idea of competition. It's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And it's not the best for anyone, the community or the individual businesses. So I just want us to get closer to working in alignment with our, our friends and our neighbors. It's so worth it to build each other up rather than looking for an excuse to tear someone down. What should we do to magically enhance our businesses, both pagan and non-pagan? I really love working with botanicals. Those of you who read any of my books know that it's, it's kind of like a theme. <laughs> the top of the list, orange blossom water. You can, uh, it's uh, money attraction, attraction for prosperity, uh, long-term stable attraction, not just the quick fix style hit and run spells. You can take orange blossom water and anoint the door handles if you have a physical location. You can anoint your desk or your planning stations, your, if you're a tent, you know, farmer's market style business, you could spray on the inside of your canopy. So your flag of appreciation, that attraction can be seen from quite a ways away. Basil's great for prosperity. It's a commanding presence. Basil is. It's also great for encouraging happiness and joy in your, in your business. Marigolds, you can grow them. You can purchase them from your local metaphysical shop. They're also a commanding herb that deals with joy and happiness. But it's also 
very protective. Cherries, cherry juice, cherry pits. You can actually enjoy a great big bowl of cherries and keep the seeds. Um, uh, put the, the dried seeds into your cash register, maybe in the tray where the bigger bills go uh, for monetary gain. Nutmeg. I mean, this goes along with any of our stimulating plants. So the spice of the nutmeg uh, gives you the same idea, that same reaction as clove. It has that strength of character that lives right in the front of your nose. It's very bold. So it's great for good luck, along with cinnamon is good for good luck. Uh, clove is also great for good luck. Clove actively brings good luck into the home. It's not just, you know, sprinkle of luck wherever you go. It's actively inviting good, beneficial prosperity luck to your home. Orange, fabulous for good luck. It's associated with the sun as are our other solar heated allies. Think of sunlight, uh, more be less becoming solid in our orange friend. Peppermint is fabulous for good luck because it is shredding anything negative before it can come into your energetic field, in this case, your business. Strawberries, also good luck. Really love the, the fruitful way that they work because of the transformation practices. Uh, think of any of the fruits. They start as a, a bud and they turn into a flower and the flower turns into fruit. So you have that energy of transformation so if you're actively experiencing kind of cruddy luck, uh, a fruit like a strawberry is great for transforming ill luck into something beautiful and beneficial for you and your business. Almonds, whether you're using almond scent uh, or actual almonds in your magic, keep in mind that bitter almond, we don't want, we're not poisoning anyone, the almond flavoring in things like Amaretto is actually comes from the apricot seed because bitter orange is poisonous. So actual almonds, you can do money magic, manifestation magic. If you're looking for something specific, especially if you're looking for a specific physical object, it's a, it's a very concrete magic you can do with almonds. Bergamot, we're talking about the uh, citrus bergamia, the member of the citrus family, not monarda. It's a completely different set of magical associations between the two of them. So this this bergant is for manifestation of money, physical goods, things you can actually touch with your hands. And of course, ginger. Ginger is amazing. And it's all about adding raw power to your spell. So you can use one of these. You can use a combination of the above. They're all really fantastic plant, plant allies to work with. Uh, and they can really help you not just understand working with plants more, they can really encourage you to step up and own your own space. Love working with these, these plants for prosperity. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast-only coupon code, code PODCAST, all lowercase, on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store. Try and help as best I can. And, and apparently Lilu agrees. That's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code PODCAST, all lowercase. Now, as far as owning your own business and being a pagan business, it's also really important to have a strong 
structured, and variable protection routine, especially if you have an in-person store. Which wars are a pain in the behind, and no one wants to deal with it. That being said, that doesn't always keep us out of it. Uh, the shop that I worked at until 2010 had a strict Switzerland policy. No, there were no covens allowed on that. You know, individual groups could chat and hang out, but everybody had to play nice together. You know, it's it's good to have an idea of what you're wanting doing in before going ahead. So having a specific and varied practice of protection magic is really important, both because the number of practitioners you're going to come into contact with is hugely varied, where they practice, how they practice, uh, by variegating your practice, especially uh, within the shop confines, makes it harder for anyone to know your entire routine. And by rotating through different methods of protection at different times of the month, at different times of the year, uh, makes it a lot harder for any one person to sort of hammer through all those protections, sort of like a, an encryption key on your password. We don't want to, the magical equivalent of a medically resistant staph infection. So keep your protections going. Make sure that you're, you're varying your practice and that nobody sees your true speed. <laughs> so I want to talk about a couple terms in, in regards to protection magic. So magic is a set of coordinated actions performed to create intentional change. We know, we know what this is. That's why we're here. Curses. Curses are a magical ritual action intended to cause magical harm to a person, persons, corporations, public figures, governments, uh, usually because of a perceived or actual wrongdoing on the target's part. This may entail a plea to the gods, spirits, saints, um, ancestors, other non-human entities. It may involve any tools, actions, or motions used in magic. It may also entail seeking help from external sources. Very clear. A hex is a ritual action announcing to the universe, God, goddess, spirits, ancestors, others, the practitioner's own desire to manifest harm to another person, persons, corporations, public figures, or governments because of perceived wrongdoing. It can involve any of the above tools, actions, or motions. This is a statement of intent to render action on behalf of themselves or others handled by the practitioner via their own will or intent. They're not looking for outside help. They're not looking for the intervention of God or spirits or ancestors. They're just letting the world know that this is not okay and this is what they intend to do about it. Okay? Separate from a curse. One is external, one is internal. Jesus. Okay, this is low energy, a passive harmful energy that can be directed consciously or unconsciously towards someone because of perceived wrongdoing. For example, setting, cutting off someone traffic. Okay? Whether or not the cutting off was intentional on your part if they were to make a rude gesture towards you, it could carry the intention or the energy of a jinx. That gesture could result in something mildly inconvenient, like a, being late for work, a paper cut, stubbing your toe, spilling coffee that you were looking forward to. Okay, it's low energies. Um, oftentimes, it's more often unintentional than it is intentional. These definitions can be found in the um, forthcoming Blackthorns Protection Magic. It'll be out March 1st. It is currently available for pre-order wherever fine books are sold. But it talks about, it's a one-stop shop for protection magic. There is the ability to understand what it is. And then we go into psychic security, physical security, emotional security. So we'll talk about crystals for protection, 
psychic protection and how and where and how that applies. Your physical security, uh, where you are embodied, so protection in the home. Things like the plants to plant out front to carry the energy of protection as well as act actually being protective. Um, which takes us into gardening protection. There's a, there's chapter six is my personal favorite for this book. It is personal security. It's the things that we need to do to keep ourselves safe and well and happy and whole. Things like escape from rope, duct tape, zip ties, chains, um, illegal imprisonment. Uh, it takes us into essential oils for protection, incense recipes, tarot spells, tying your protection with the stars in the, in the additional information and then other correspondences. Uh, wherever fine books are sold, March 1st. Remember, we're all trees in the forest. Nurture each other.